Well, hello, ABF Online family. It is wonderful to be with you on this fine June day. Hey, let's get into an amazing time of worship. Take it away, band. He's our rescuer. He's our rescuer. We are free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound. Oh, how abounds we will praise the lord our rescuer there is good news for the captive good news for the shame there is good news for the one who walked away there is good news for the doubter the one religion failed for the good lord has come to seek and save He's our rescuer He's our rescuer We are free from sin forevermore Oh how sweet the sound Oh how grace abounds We will praise the Lord our rescuer He is beauty for the blind man
Let's look to the scripture as we prepare to receive from the Lord at his table. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me say that again. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat. Verse 25. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink and remember Jesus. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, thank you so much for communion and what it represents. I pray that even right now as we've shared this communion together, um, even though it's on video, even though most of the people watching this are in their homes, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bind us through space and time, that we cannot see each other in this moment, and we would know that we belong to you and that we are yours. It's in Jesus' name that we remember. It is Jesus himself that we remember, and we say, amen. Well, thank you, worship team. Again, it is so nice to be with you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I have a couple of announcements for you this week. So a couple of things, as always, we would genuinely enjoy praying for you this week. So go ahead and text any prayer requests to 97,000. We would love to pray for you. A couple of things coming up in the near future. Our Canal Valley meal program is coming up this Monday, June 14th, and we are in need of some cookies. So if you are a baker and you're like, hey, I could bake some cookies for some people, we would love to have you sign up for that. Go ahead and check it out on the website. Our marriage essentials class is coming up next Sunday, June 20th at 9 a.m. here in the well. So if you're interested in coming on campus and being a part of that, we'd love to have you out for that. And man, the last thing is just kind of wanted to give a general plug. We have so many different ways to get plugged in here at the church. Life groups, different men's, women's events, student ministries, kids ministries, so many amazing things going on here at the church. We would just love to get you plugged in and involved in any way, shape, or form that you are comfortable with doing so. So please go ahead and contact us. We'd love to get you plugged in. We got a lot of stuff coming up here this summer and this fall. Finally, if you are enjoying these videos, if you're blessed by our time together, just diving into God's Word and spending time glorifying Him, man, we would love if you would um, consider financially supporting the ministries here at the church and keeping us up and running. Uh, you can do so online or mailing a check. Thank you so much for your continued support. We appreciate you guys and love you so much. Hey, now we get to hear from Pastor Scott as he wraps up this series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Give it up for Pastor Scott.
All right. Well, thank you, Josh, and uh, thank you, worship team. And uh, so good, as Josh mentioned, just to be together online. And so thankful for each of you that's faithfully just tuning in and making this a priority of getting into God's Word. And we're excited uh, here today to be finishing up, as Josh mentioned, uh, the last in our series in First Thessalonians. I'll be honest, I'm going to kind of miss it. I've been blessed by this book uh, but just thinking through this uh, last section, and I've titled it, No Coasting Allowed. No Coasting Allowed. And as I was thinking back, just as I, I get a little bit older, some of the things that I uh, used to get away with as it relates to health just don't seem to work anymore. When I was uh, growing up, uh, really in my teens, I, I found myself where I could just do a little bit of exercise and just eat anything I wanted, anything in sight, and I would just do fine. I'd stay trim and all that. Now, I've realized as I get a little bit older, if I just go back to the buffet bar just one time, I'm for sure up five pounds. Last, uh, this last uh, weekend, you may have wondered where I was at. I actually had an amazing opportunity to get together with some pastors on a retreat through uh, Compassion International. And we were up in northern Minnesota uh, fishing. Uh, it was a pretty cool uh, experience. Here's a, a picture of me with a, uh, a fish. You can, say, you can see that it's not a, necessarily a trophy fish, but uh, you get the idea. One of the things I noticed on that trip and why I bring this up is uh, I was like, you know what, I'll just take a break for the weekend and just uh, coast through it a little bit and eat kind of whatever I, is served. And I didn't really give much, uh, uh, much thought to portion control, one might say. And I was sorely uh, frustrated coming back and seeing the, the scale after just a, a few days. You see, what happens, a lot of times we lean into things that used to work, kind of the whole idea of uh, d things digressing and breaking down. And you're like, man, that just doesn't do what it used to do. The same way as eating, I also, when playing sports, I could roll out of bed and go play basketball for the day. Now I've got a full routine. I've got to stretch. I've got to warm up, loosen the muscles, or I'm sure going to tear something. I've got to ice things when you're done. Really what happens as it relates to the spiritual life is similar. Similar, when, you, when you're first coming to Christ, there's no amount of effort that has to take place in order to, to have a, a vibrant relationship with God because everything's so new and exciting. And you remember the beginning of our study in 1 Thessalonians, you remember Paul was complimenting them because the entire region, the word about their, their, uh, their example is said that it was sounding forth that people were recognizing, these people were changed. But what Paul understands, I think, is comes from a, a senior saint that's been around the block a few times. He recognizes that you can't really coast in the Christian life. You can't count on the, the old days or, or, or the faith that you used to have sustaining you. It's something that you have to continue to put work effort into. It's not something that you stumble upon. It's something that takes intentionality. So Paul is writing to this group of young believers and he's trying to equip them to make sure that they don't coast. He's clearly explaining in this last section as he's finishing up this letter, he's clearly explaining to them that there's some, some expectations that you need to 
walk through, that you need to follow through on if you're going to continue to take ground for Jesus Christ. And I think that is so true for us still today that you can't ever slip into the comfortable just coasting because you don't just stay where you're at. You don't just plateau. I would say if you get too comfortable, you begin to digress and you definitely don't take new ground for the Lord. And so I think this passage is perfect for each of us that have been walking with the Lord for a long time or those who are new to walking with the Lord. Clarifying expectations uh, I think is important and definitely not getting comfortable. No coasting allowed. Let me pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, we thank you as usual for this chance to be together in your word and the gift that it is to each one of us written as a love letter, as instruction for us to navigate the Christian life. We ask now that we'd really be able to engage in what's presented here and really be able to take these ideas to heart and assess what adjustments need to be made in our life to align with God's word. God, we know that that's only possible through the power of your spirit. And so we invite the spirit to reign, to convict, to encourage, and do all the work that he does. We invite that now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we're starting in 1 Thessalonians 5, and we're in verse 12, where we left off. Josh did a, a wonderful job last week setting the anticipation for the Lord's return and kind of the response to that of being living with urgency. And so now he's giving one last bit of instruction, one might say, kind of a pastoral heart as he's sharing with this group of young believers. This is what he says in verse 12. We ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We'll stop there again, repeating what he says. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Who is this referring to? This is talking about anyone who's in church leadership. I'll be honest, when I was reading through this this week, I was like, that's kind of a, a strange thing for a, a pastor to present because you're basically telling them, it's kind of weird to tell them to respect church leadership when you're actually in church leadership, but it's nonetheless true. What he's charging them with is to esteem them very highly. Esteem is actually a verb meaning to think of and consider highly. Why is that? Why are they intended or are charging them to hold leadership in high regard? He says it right there in the text, because of their work. As a, as a leader within the church, we're called to be on guard, to oversee and to shepherd. This is challenging work and I'll admit it's never something that you necessarily feel qualified for, but called to. Tell, he refers to one of the things that a leader does within the church. He says, those who admonish. It's mentioned as part of what a, a leader in the church does. This is basically verbal correction. When the uh, leader within the church has permission to speak into your life. When I was on this pastor's retreat, I had a number of just great conversations. And one of them was around the breakfast uh, that we had and talking about one of the things with this whole idea of admonish is kind of a lost art form, if you will, I would suggest within the church. 
So often when there's some kind of verbal correction brought to somebody attending the church, most often that is kind of the beginning of the end. Where when they hear something that they don't want to hear, they begin to move on to the next church. And talking with these pastors, they were kind of agreeing with this. When somebody hears some kind of input, you have to be careful because they're so often just quick to move on to the next church. But this is intended to be how the church works where you speak, have someone speaking into your life, somebody that's challenging you and pointing out areas of growth, tells them to, they're to respect and to esteem their leaders. It's interesting though, that's what's right after that. It says to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Then what's connected to that, notice what it says in the text, be at peace among yourselves. I found that an interesting connection because it doesn't really fit with the next section. It's obviously tied to this section where that seems to be one of the ways that you demonstrate respect and love for the leadership of the church. The more I thought about that this week, I'm like, well, that actually makes a lot of sense. You think about it, probably the greatest gift that you can give a pastor as far as respect and esteem is to figure out how to be at peace within the body of Christ. As I think back over the different years of ministries, probably the, one of the greatest stresses isn't always attached to preaching or leadership stuff. It's almost always attached to relationships, to working through it with people or trying to help them navigate conflict even within the body of Christ. So one of the ways as you're wanting to respect and honor those in leadership is to make sure that you're fighting for peace, that you're making sure that you're, you're working towards that. It's an amazing and important part of the life of the church. And let's be honest, this last year has been especially difficult as it relates to this because you've been asked to be along with an eclectic group of people with a wide variety of opinions on lots of subjects, you've been asked to keep the peace. You've been asked to navigate that. I've had a number of conversations that have been challenging in the past year as it relates to that, but it's important for us as the body of Christ to realize you're never going to land in a church where everybody just thinks the same thing, kind of leans the same direction politically on all kinds of subjects. So instead, you have to figure out how to navigate with varying levels of, of opinions on everything. This has been a year that we've been tested as it relates to that. So peace doesn't mean that we all have the same opinion, but it does mean that we're wise in how we interact related to those opinions. I jotted down a, a list of things that I think are helpful in keeping the peace. You can fill those in on your notes or you can just follow along. The first one that I think is very helpful in keeping the peace in the body of Christ is having a teachable spirit. It's, it's important for us to hold on to some of our views loosely. You can say, you know what, I lean towards this, but I'd love to hear your, your side of the story, your input. How arrogant for us to think that we have the corner on truth of everything. A teachable spirit really goes a long way even in our, in our interactions within the body of Christ. 
So teachable spirit is one. Another one I'd suggest is avoiding exaggeration. It's kind of the same in a, a conversation with somebody in marriage counseling. You want to avoid words like always and never and being dramatic in your response and your opinion on things, thinking through how what you're saying is going to be received. That's how I think is, that's what I think is so helpful in keeping the peace. Another one, so teachable spirit, avoid exaggeration. Also just, just being respectful, avoiding things that are, uh, that are, uh, that are demeaning or, or make it sound like you've got the angle on it and somebody else has clearly missed out on it. I've been in a number of conversations this year as it relates to things with masks, with COVID. And they're like, you know what? I just like to follow the science. I've heard that said, but here's the ironic thing is really any angle of any argument in the last year, everybody on each side thinks that they're following the science. So those kind of things that you want to avoid to, to think through, how you can be respectful and not talking down to somebody that you're interacting with. Another one, avoiding generalizations. Avoiding generalizations, that's what gets us in so much trouble, especially online. I see some of the statements that are, that are made are, are just, just so damaging. Trump supporters are all racist. Really? Are we going to have that kind of a generalization? Does that mean every one of all the millions of them are all racist? Really? Or, or on the other side of it, I've got to cover both sides. Democrats don't value human life. Really? You're going to say that about all Democrats. They don't value human life. This is what I'm trying to get at is that there shouldn't be generalizations because that's, that's, that's one of the things that can, can stir conflict and cause division within the church. Those are just a, a few that I jotted down. You could probably add to the list, but things that will help as the church is trying to navigate keeping the peace within the body of Christ. And then the last thing I'll, I'll add into this section and we'll continue on is Matthew 18 is a beautiful picture of how you navigate when someone has done something that where they've offended you, some way that in which they've wronged you. Matthew 18 says to go to them directly. Basically, I see in scripture when someone's wronged you, two options. Option number one, choose to forgive and move on. Option number two is going to them directly. There's not an option number three. We'll continue in the text as he's laying out expectations. This next section is not about expectations with leaders, but expectations with other believers. It says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do the good to one another and to everyone. First word you might catch, I've already pointed out in the text, is admonish. Again, this idea of correcting something, someone that's doing something wrong or someone that's doing something that, that, or that isn't doing something that they should be doing. But here's the reality. As I mentioned, nobody likes to be confronted in sin but also on the flip side of it, none of us really like to be the one doing the confronting either. In fact, I would say it's kind of strange if you enjoy confronting somebody, but here's the idea that we see throughout scripture, whether it's the leadership or whether here where he's referring to brothers, that's talking about people within the church. It's a part of 
our spiritual growth. It's a key part of our spiritual growth. Somebody calling us out in our junk. I would say too many people operate with minimal uh, degrees of, of accountability in their life. They don't really have anybody that's saying, hey, you're not allowed to do that. You, you can't do that. That's not honoring to God. But here he's saying, he's calling brothers out, those who are within the church, to admonish one another. Admonishes to challenge and to call out sin as we're seeing it. It's not just something that the elders are called to do, but instead the brothers within the church. Some of the common excuses that keep us from doing this is the person that says, man, well, I just don't want to be judgmental. That's, a, that's an important thing. For sure, we don't want to be judgmental, but it's also something that we need some level of judgment in order to sharpen. If we're to sharpen each other, that's going to be key. Another person might say the reason why they don't want to admonish is they say, you know what, I, who am I to correct someone when I have my own issues? But play that one out for a moment in your mind. If everyone waited until all of their issues were taken care of, how could you ever admonish someone. What I think is one of the deeper reasons why people don't like to admonish or to call people out in areas of shortcoming is because they think to themselves, I don't want to call them out on it because I'm not open to be called out on things myself. That's the, where kind of the cycle unfortunately continues where, where sin is, is never addressed. Where here he's calling us to make sure we're speaking and, and challenging people. Of course, common sense tells us the first thing we want to judge and assess is our own life. That's where Jesus says, hey, look at, the, look at the, uh, this, the log in your own eye before addressing issues with someone else. But here, what does he specifically tell them to admonish? See it there in the text, glance back. It says, admonish the idol, the idol. It's interesting, I did a little a word study on that, and the word idol used there is the same word used for truant, truant. If you know anything about truancy, that's the idea of not showing up, so, someone that's, that's not showing up and not doing their part. How does that relate to church world? What does that look like? When he's saying admonish, he's saying call that person out for being not showing up and, and doing their, their part or, or playing their role within the body of Christ. It's been a tricky year to navigate with that, especially with the, the, the church as, as people have been away because of COVID and some people for good reason, good health reason, and then some people that have just gotten out of some healthy church habits. For us, we've tried to navigate that as a staff and we've concluded the best way to respond to that, to nudge people, is to either way tell people that they're missed. We genuinely miss having you. We miss seeing you and then allowing the Holy Spirit to nudge people that maybe need to be in church and encourage people that are rightfully staying away from church. But either way, this should be part of how the church operates. When you notice somebody that you're like, man, where have they been? I, I miss seeing them. To do the exact same thing, to reach out. My uh, wife is part of a, a small gym in Thousand Oaks that she goes to uh, very consistently. And I, I like what they do. I mean, they, they have kind of this small group of people that are all working out together. My wife is like, man, I miss one day. I have like three messages from like people from all different generations. Where were you at this morning? We missed you. How, what's going on? And I think that's a beautiful picture of how the church should operate as well. Notice here in this section though, 
that there's different responses needed for different conditions. Urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. In other words, it's not a one-size-fits-all. You don't need to admonish or challenge the faint-hearted. You don't need to encourage, they need encouragement. You don't need to help the idle, you need to admonish them. Basically, it's not a one size for all of it fits. This idea is we have to assess and seek the Holy Spirit because you can admonish somebody that really just needs help and you can end up damaging them even more. So it's important that we're leaning into the Spirit for what's appropriate. Some people just need some help. Some people need some encouragement and some people need a challenge. The Spirit will direct us on this within the body of Christ. I was reading one article that was saying that someone, someone keeps sinning and they say, I'm just weak. That's not the person that needs help. That's just a person that needs to be called out for being rebellious. Don't need help, but admonishment. See, we have to seek the Lord on what is actually necessary. So my ask for you as you try to translate this to present day is you look at that list, which do you think you, that Paul would say you need right now? Do you be, need to be admonished as the idle or the truant? Do you need to be encouraged as the, the faint-hearted? I like the definition for faint-hearted is the person that's easily discouraged or overwhelmed by stress. Is that you? Do you, do you need to be encouraged? Or do you need to be someone that's helped, that's, that's weak? Which, which of those, which category would you say that you fall into? What would Paul say you need in this situation? All of those, though, he wraps, and I think it's important that he does that. He mentions to d- deal with all of it with patience. All of it with patience. It's not supposed to be something that we're just getting fired up and, and angry about. All of this is to be wrapped in patience as we're dealing with fellow brothers in Christ. That's why I think it's so important where he uses the, the term brothers, a, a term of endearment, seeing themselves as family through the entire text. He also points to some things in the Christian life that I think are obvious here. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. We're in a world that says, hey, it's all about revenge. Get even, get back. That's the opposite. What scripture points to is is instead of that is to make sure that we're doing good, that we're showering people with good even when they don't deserve it. We'll continue in the text, verse 16. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from, from every form of evil. Recently, I was watching this uh, video. It was kind of a fun one. I, I didn't capture it for you to watch, but you can kind of picture this. Basically, it was a guy. I was super impressed with this. A guy that had uh, the uh, three different Rubik's Cubes. I don't know if you remember those kind of. Uh, I never once figured out how to solve one. I'd maybe get two sides of them figured out. This kid, though, he's probably like 15 years old. He's juggling three Rubik's Cubes. And as he's juggling them, he's actually solving them. All three of them were messed up. Juggle in the air, the one that's caught. He'd turn, juggle, juggle, juggle. He solved 
three Rubik's cubes while juggling them. I was blown away. I was like, that, that's literally impossible. Like how can somebody ever do something like that? It wouldn't matter how many hours I practice, my brain and hands, like that just doesn't work. Thinking about that as it relates to this passage, because sometimes I read descriptions and some of the commands in scripture. I'm like, how's that even possible? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Sure, no problem. I'll definitely get on that right away. Kind of sometimes when you're, you're, you're reading some of these things, you're like, is this just a, an exercise in frustration? Like, why does he, he put these things that seem so impossible? Are they intended to leave us just overwhelmed and, and frustrated? I would say just the opposite. Just like the law in general. The law in general was to move us to the conclusion that we can't do it on our own. That we can't do it on our own. It's literally impossible. Man has never been able to keep up with the law. Just like some of these instructions are like, I can't do this on, on my own. It's intended to move us towards dependence. Notice this. It says, this is the will of God. We know that. that that's his desire for our life. In Christ Jesus for you. I think that statement that, that you have to catch is the in Christ Jesus. None of this is possible in our own strength. This isn't a message about working harder or trying more. This is a message about leaning in. Lord Jesus, help me with this. To pray without ceasing, rejoice always, giving thanks in all circumstances. That's the only way that we can be moving towards this. But we also understand that there's kind of a divine human partnership in this. This isn't something that's kind of haphazard as we've talked about other times in this series that you just stumble upon and you're like, hey, looky there, I'm just praying without ceasing now. This does take some intentionality where we partner with the Lord. There has to be a plan in place. I absolutely am super impressed with all three of my kids as they develop their personalities and kind of grow in their different strength areas. And each one of them has different things that they're really strong at. Well, my middle child, Alexa, has been coming out more and more how amazing she is at planning. Like she is like on top of it. She's got a, a daily calendar that she keeps, a daily schedule. Her phone is full of notes. Like she's got things mapped out to the T. She thinks through things way more than either Adrian and I do. And I'm like, man, where did that come from? The other day she had gotten some babysitting money and she was headed to the mall. And I was like, you know what, honey? I think it'd be helpful for you to rather, so you don't just waste your money to think through what are the things that you actually still need to get? Like what are some, some not just wants, but actual needs. She's like, oh, dad, here, here's in my phone. She pulls out this list and she's got like categorized the list of all the things that she needs and then placed in order based on what's priorities that needs to be purchased first and the order and structure. I'm like, whose kid is this? Like unbelievable. I was thinking about that. Really, that serves well in the Christian life. Because you're never going to stumble on all any of these things. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. That's something 
that takes some intentionality. You have to think through. You have to think through how in this situation, am I, am I jo- rejoicing or am I just getting beat down? Am I getting frustrated? Am I, am I praying? Am I bringing it before the Lord? These are intended to be something that we're fighting for. I like as John Piper puts it, as it relates to rejoice always, which is focusing on the good in your circumstances. So sometimes you have to fight for joy. You have to chase after. It's not something you stumble on. It takes leaning into the Lord intentionally. This other idea of praying without ceasing, again, a habit. It's a routine. It's a pattern in your life. And again, I've talked about in this series that when it says pray without ceasing, it's not like an ongoing chant or something weird like that. It's more, I, I like the illustration I saw this week. If you've ever had a, a nagging cough, it's not something that you're coughing 24-7, but it's persistent. It keeps happening. It comes up. And that's the idea of praying without ceasing, going through your day, just being in the routine, creating some habits of just interacting with God talking to him, bringing stuff before him, asking for help, telling him how great he is. That should be a part of our normal dialogue. And then giving thanks in all circumstances, that's closely related to the first idea, but it's basically operating with a heart of gratitude. I read this week that we don't have to feel thankful to give thanks. Sometimes it's a trust exercise. Hey God, right now, man, I am not feeling thankful because my circumstances really are, are miserable from my perspective. But God, I, I trust you. I believe that you're a good God and you have a, a good plan in store for me. That's how you make it through even difficult circumstances. The opposite of that, of giving thanks is entitlement. When you have a mentality that you deserve something or are owed something, but when you ha- you're, that's going to take you to some dark places. But when you have a mentality of, man, anything that I get is better than I deserve, all of a sudden that's possible. Here he continues in this text. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Scholars, as I was reading about this, really are unsure what Paul's trying to correct. The majority of this letter, he's actually addressing reports that Timothy had come back with, areas of weakness. And so we don't know specifically what he's talking about. There's a lot of discussion even about what this section means, a lot of debate that I was reading about. I actually lean towards a most simple explanation, which is this. Is that we're to be or charged to be sensitive to the Spirit's promptings in your life and to run everything through the filter of Scripture. Someone has a, a prophecy or a word for you, man, you, you got to wrestle through that and seek the Spirit to make sure that it's consistent with Scripture. I was reading about John Piper. He was telling the story about how he was really messed up by a woman in, her, uh, in his church that actually came to him when his wife was pregnant and told told him that she had heard from the Lord that his wife was going to die during childbirth, but he was going to have a healthy daughter. As you can imagine, getting that message was pretty uh, distressing for him, even all the way up to the birth of his child. But here he tells the story. He's like, man, I was thrilled when my wife was healthy on the other side of the birth, and I actually had a son, not a daughter. 
So in that, we have to be so cautious to wrestle through which things are of the Lord and running them through Scripture. I would much rather have somebody rather than say, I have a word from the Lord for you. I would rather somebody say, I have a word from the Lord for you. And here's the passage in which he speaks, pointing specifically to Scripture, which we know is a constant. Continue in the text this was the last expectation. So expectation with, for personal growth, but also an expectation for holiness. Let's see if you see it in the text here. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So that's the very end of the letter. And I uh, love the idea that's here. He's telling him, hey, make sure that this letter is being read to every single person. Make sure it's being passed on. I, I love that charge for the church. Make sure we're all digesting the same thing and on the exact same page. And what he's putting out there is God's desire for each one of us. What does it say that he wants for them to have? Is to sanctify you completely. God's desire for us, his will for your life, is that you're sanctified. Sanctified is the becoming more and more like Jesus on a daily basis where we shed the old flesh and start to adopt more and more of his characteristics. You have different levels of sanctification in the Christian life, just to clarify this. You have positional sanctification that happens immediately when we embrace Jesus' finished work on the cross. That means we're forgiven, we're washed clean. Uh, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. That is secure and set. Some people confuse that with the second part, with his, which is progressive sanctification, meaning we're intended in the course of our lifetime to be becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, for there to be a progression forward that, that happens our entire life. And then lastly, another sanctification aspect is perfect sanctification. When the Lord finally returns, we're going to be made like him. The, pro the process is no longer, it is finally complete. Those are three important things to understand in the Christian life. But right now, the majority of us, I would say all of us who are following Christ, are in that middle stage, the progressive sanctification that takes a lifetime, that he expects us to be changing more and more like him. We're, we're being set apart from the world around us. We're becoming more and more distant, not distant with engagement with people, but distant in participation with the things that this world is about. I'll tell you what, I've watched some spiraling morals and decay in our nation in the last uh, couple of years, probably amplified more than ever as it relates to a number of wide variety of different issues. And so we have to ask ourselves and begin to ask ourselves, how are we set apart from the world? How are we different from our neighbor? How are we living a, a, a life of purity? How are we living a, a life above reproach? How are we living a, a life of honesty? How are we, how are we living a, a life that's, that's different? So you have to wrestle through that question of, of what sanctification looks like in your life. Or are you just blending in with the masses? Find it interesting, he points to 
who's responsible for all of this. The God of peace himself. He who calls you, he is faithful. He will surely do it. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the idea of sanctification. Saying the God who's faithful, he's gonna surely do it. He's going to transform you in this lifetime whether I find it in my own personal life that it happens whether you come willingly or you come kicking and screaming. And I found that it's a whole lot easier to come willingly rather than them having to discipline me and take me through hardship. All of the, the trimming of the edges that he wants to do, man, it comes a lot easier when it's just a life of submission. So as I said earlier, this isn't a, a do more work message. This is a turn yourself over more to him message, submitting more and more to him where he transforms you from the inside out. But all of these things are expectations in the life of a believer. And it's not something that you can just be loosey-goosey on. You'll get, if you have no goals, nothing set out in front of you, you'll never arrive anywhere. You have to aim towards something. I like the quote, aim at nothing and you will hit it every time. That's true as it relates to this for sure. The God of peace though, he will continue. He'll complete what he started in your life. I'm excited about that for each one of us. He ends with a, a final charge. You notice what he says there. He tells them to, to pray for them, which is every, every leader would covet that for sure. Then verse 26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. So I thought as we are finishing the series, you could find anybody that's close by and just plan a big smackaroo on them. That would be a nice way to finish. I'm just kidding. There's some things that translate in the text and some things not necessarily applicable. So you don't have to kiss anyone as we finish this series, but I'm excited to see how God might use it as you start to consider some of these things that you don't just stumble on. You can't, you can't just coast on through the Christian life. You have to actually give it thought intentionality, have a plan in place in more than one arena as it relates to leadership, as it relates to other brothers and sisters in Christ, as it relates to your own personal growth, and as it relates to your purity. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to work through this book and what a gift it's been to each one of us. For me personally, I know all of these things that I present to the the, the body of Christ is really you speaking to me and nudging in these areas. So may I never come across as somebody that has all this figured out, but as a, as a fellow saint that's working through all of this and counting on and leaning into the Holy Spirit is the only one that can change us, can, can transform us. And for that, we are grateful. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the best For you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands, great.
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your All right, church family. Well, again, thanks for worshiping with us. Hopefully these online services continue to be a blessing in the week ahead. Any way at all that we can serve you, can be praying for you, always feel the freedom to reach out to the church office. Otherwise, God bless you. Have an amazing day.